welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast, the podcast that explores climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. My name is George. I'm joined by Dustin, Justin, and Brandon. And in tonight's episode, we will be discussing investing centered around the book called The Psychology of Money. The host for tonight will be Dustin leading the discussion. So without further ado, I will turn it over to him. Awesome. How's everybody uh, doing tonight? All right. Doing good. I'm excited. Good. All right. Awesome. Um, yeah. So this is a book by uh, Morgan Housel. Uh, I want to say it was the number one New York Times bestseller for a long time. Um, so it really had a, a huge impact on a lot of people. Um, really, really great read. Um, you know, a lot of fun. His writing style is awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of interesting points in there that I hadn't uh, hadn't seen previously. So uh, really, really good read. Um, luckily for you, uh, we're going to go over the key points so you don't have to read it if you don't want to. <laughs> but uh, all these guys are nice enough to uh, look at the notes, read the book and um, and kind of get through the whole process. So um, we'll talk it out. And uh, guys, like I said earlier, interrupt me. You know, if I use any uh, verbiage or um, any jargon that doesn't make sense. You know, I, there's no benefit to that, right? I'm trying to be as plain spoken as possible. So um, that that's kind of the idea there. Um, uh, my grandfather uh, has been an investment counselor for better part of 60 years. Um, so it's kind of in my blood. I love this stuff. I'm really passionate about it. And uh, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of other people got really interested in the past couple of years, too, with the meme stocks, you know, AMC, Bitcoin, uh, Tesla, all that kind of stuff, you know, really got people excited about investing in um and stocks and all that kind of stuff. Um, but a lot of us didn't really know what the heck we were doing. So it was fun a couple of years ago. And now that the market is tanking, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's a little bit less fun. Unless you were um, short the market, meaning you bought um, puts against companies, uh, you weren't making money. You know, bonds have gone down, stocks have gone down, real estate's held up okay. Um, but, uh, you know, pretty much everything else has really struggled. So, um, a lot of the key points in this book are, you know, more relevant than ever. Um, you know, everyone's a genius in a bull market, uh, which means when the market is going up, but in a bear market, which means the market is going down, you know, that's when you really uh, start to see how hard it is to hold on to your money. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to make money. It's pretty hard to hold on to it. <laughs> so like that's that. kind of the idea there. Um, so number one thing, you'll hear this from any uh, podcast involving, um, you know, talking about finances. This is not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. Um, this is purely for entertainment purposes. Um, do not, uh, you know, take any of this as uh, financial advice because it is absolutely not. Uh, don't want any of us getting sued over this. Um, so NFA, not financial advice. Um, number one thing. Um, so as far as uh, working with investing, um, for most of us, it, it may be where you have the majority of your money. Um, if you own a home, uh, that is an amazing thing that you should uh, definitely aim for. Um, the American government has done everything it can to make homeowning the best deal on the planet. Um, finances are low. Uh, you can get a home for 3% down here. Um, so if you buy a $100,000 home, you only need $3,000. You need a little more than that for closing costs and all that. But in theory, your actual down payment is only a very small amount of money. Uh, other countries are not like that. You know, you need 25, 30, uh, 50% down. You know, so if you want a $100,000 house, you need 50 grand. Much, much harder to buy a house. So Uncle Sam is doing his best. Uh, happy Fourth, by the way, gentlemen, right. <laughs> America. Um, Uncle Sam is doing his best to try to get you to buy a home. Um, if you're a father, um, it's a great goal to own a home. Um, you know, it's uh, it, there's so many benefits to it as far as taxes, everything. You know, that's that's number one. Um, beyond that, though, you're going to be investing. Um, now, that may be in stocks, uh, which is where you own a piece of a company. Um, you know, whether that's Apple or Microsoft or one of the big ones. Um, that's owning a stock, um, or you might own a bond, which is the debt um, for either a company um, or even the government, right? I remember um, 
when I was a kid, there were paper savings bonds. I don't know if you guys ever got any of those when you were a kid, but uh, that's a gift that I got pretty regularly. And it was really fun. You'd wait 20 years and you doubled your money. You were like, yes, you know, I got 50 bucks since I only had 25 before. So it was pretty cool. Um, so, uh, you know, those, those are your kind of simplest investing options. I'm going to talk about a couple of other ones called alternative investments. Um, you can own uh, different kinds of currencies. You know, you can own um, a Chinese yuan, a Russian ruble. I wouldn't recommend it, but you can. <laughs> or uh, you can own a euro. You can own a U.S. dollar. You know, you can invest in currencies that way. Um, uh, they're not really investments, though, right? They're meant to be spent. Um, so generally speaking, you know, that, that's not, you know, kind of the direction you want to go as far as that. Um, but uh, other fun alternative investments that are a little more um, uh, beyond just your stocks and bonds. Um, so first thing to talk about here is uh, men are much more likely than women, even dads, you know, even when you have kids and you know you've got people to take care of, to be uh, gambling addicts. Um, and gambling is not just going to the casino and putting it all on red, right? Gambling can be going on Robin Hood, um, which if you haven't heard of is a very popular, um, yeah, <laughs> exactly app. It's uh, mobile first. Um, they did an amazing job. Uh, they went viral of getting people to sign into their app. And a lot of people got access to more money than they ever had. Um, if you don't know what leverage is, I'll describe that um, quickly for you. Um, if I have $10 and I buy $10 worth of stock, there's no leverage on that, right? Um, but if I buy an option, um, I'm giving myself the right to buy more shares of that stock for a certain period of time. Um, what that means is if I buy uh, an option to own a certain amount of Tesla until uh, August, let's say, um, if I'm correct, I make a ton of money, right? Because I have 100 times more shares than if I just bought the one. But if I'm wrong, I lose all my money. Um, and 90% of options or more uh, end up uh, expiring worthless. Um, so your chance of actually making money on an option is relatively low. Um, advanced traders who spend their whole lives learning this stuff still mostly lose all their money. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, there's a few very special people out there, um, like Rain Man, who can make money, you know, with leverage on an options. Um, betting you're not one of them. I know I'm not, and uh, we're all pretty smart guys. Um, so stay away from it. It's, it's not worth it. You already have leverage on your home, right? When you buy your house at three percent down, um, and the house goes up, uh, you know, by ten percent. Well, you're up, uh, what, 300%, right? You're up a lot more. So if you don't outright own your home, you already have leverage on that. You don't need leverage with your stocks and bonds, right? Um, so yeah. all that being said, uh, go ahead. I feel like that's literally the option of putting all your eggs in one basket when you do that. So <laughs> yeah, it kind of goes against the, the golden rule there. Yep, exactly. Yeah, um, diversification is uh, super important, right? Because uh, the number one thing is you don't want to blow up. You never want to be in a situation where you can't feed your family. You know, that's just an unacceptable situation to be in. So no matter how good something looks, um, don't put it all in because you never know. You might lose it all and uh, then your wife's going to be mad at you. Your kids are going to hate you. Know, it's not good. <laughs> you always want to have some money in the bank uh, yeah. to protect yourself. Um, so all that being said, uh, if you have a tendency to be a gambler. Um, if you know from you know a previous time that you went to Vegas and you just could not push yourself away from the table, you were having too much fun, um, you lost money, and uh, you went back to the ATM, got more, because you knew you were going to get that money back, I'm going to win it back all in one time, investing may not be for you. <laughs> right? uh, it's, uh, it, it hits all those dopamine centers. It's really exciting to, uh, to buy stocks and bonds and um, you know to play the market. Um, and... Uh, Know yourself and, and be smart about it, uh, because um, if you are a gambler, 
you're going to lose everything. Um, I have friends that have this issue, and uh, there's a solution for that. Give your money to somebody else, let a financial advisor take care of it, and um, let someone else, you know, whether it's your wife um, or a professional, um, let someone else take care of it. Do not put yourself in a situation where your emotions allow you to lose too much money, right? You work way too hard. Um, you spent too much time trying to get that money. Do not throw it away, right? Investing is for long-term growth of your capital um, and allowing you to live comfortably in your retirement and maybe give something to your kids. Uh, it is not for gambling and throwing away, right? Um, this is your money. You worked hard for it. Don't uh, don't gamble it away. Um, yeah, and, and don't give it to your wife. I was going to say cryptocurrency is even worse for that because there's there's faster results because it's so volatile. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of issues with with people that have addictive behaviors and their personalities uh, going into crypto thinking, oh, man, I'm going to buy twenty dollars worth and get rich. And it's like, no, that train's passed a long time ago. Yeah, so yeah, you got to yeah. be smart about your investment. And it's 24 seven. You can trade right. at 3 a.m. on Saturday uh, morning. Um, mm -hmm. if you want, and nothing good happens at 3 a.m. on Saturday morning when it comes to trading <laughs> cryptocurrency. It's not going to go well. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, there's newer and more exciting financial instruments, uh, you know, being created every day. And uh, if you don't know a whole lot about it, um, don't play that game. It's not worth it. Yeah. You know, um, learn about it. Paper trade it. Um, uh, paper trading means you're not using any real money. There's a lot of different apps that will allow you to pretend you have a million dollars in the bank. And then you can watch as it all goes to zero. <laughs> and you can go, man, I'm really glad that wasn't real money. <laughs> yeah. It's like playing Monopoly. So, basically. Yeah. If you're a gambler and you really love it, um, you know, paper trade, right? Yeah. Uh, do, do fake money. And uh, if you're crushing it and 10 years later you have $100 million, maybe you have a gift. Maybe you're the rain man. You know, you're not, but you might be. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah. So you please did, uh... don't gamble. You brought up one point that I think ties really good into fatherhood too, because this is obviously very intense topics, very focused on investing and money, and that you know that that on the surface, well, what does that have to do with fatherhood? But um, you know, you talked about it's a long-term growth, right? And ideally, where you want to get to is being able to leave it to your children, or some to your children, or, or you know, pay for the college things like that. Um, that's a huge part of being a father, and that's a huge part of being a man is your legacy. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean like your offspring, but it's what you do on this earth that goes, you know, carries forward after you're gone. You know, once once I'm dead and gone, what impact do I leave on those around me, especially my children and my spouse if she if she's surviving me? Um, and you know, money is it is we live in a world that that runs on money, so like that's a very impactful thing you can leave behind um, for your family. Um, and just like bringing up my wife's example, her grandfather. Um, he retired as a colonel from the army after Vietnam um, and was just very good with his money. I don't know if he paid someone to do it or he was just good at it. Um, but he built up nest eggs for every single grandchild he had, college funds. Like my wife is still tapping into that money for school today and we're in our 30s. Um, and I mean, just the foresight he had, like they were like infants, you know, and he was already setting up accounts and, and pocketing this money for them. And and he died a long time ago and his wife is still living off of, you know, their retirement. So, um, you know, what a legacy, right? He's, he's helped fund six different grandkids now through college. Uh, and his wife is still living off their, so, I mean, that, that is very impactful as a father, I, I think. Um, so on the, on the surface level, don't think of this as like, you know, this is like some wall street podcast or something, or, you know, uh, mad money with whatever that guy's name is. Kramer. Um, Kramer, yeah. this I think is, this is, a. I, maybe one of the most overlooked aspects about fatherhood 
I, maybe because then I, I admittedly I'm not very good at this or probably should be a lot better. Um, so I'm going off on a yeah. tangent here, but just, I wanted to drive that home early on in this podcast today that, you know, this, this is make no mistake. It's about fatherhood and your legacy uh, is important to that. Yeah. And, and providership, like you said, is, is so vital and not just that, but like, I think, I think the staggering percentage is like close to 60 or 70% of all marriages in a divorce due to financial hardship. So as a father and as the leader of the household, it's our jobs to protect our marriage um, financially too. Yep. Um, and and to put up with a lot, but she's not going to put up with you if you're broke. Not for long. Right. Right. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's something it's, that's it's, just, you know, it is what it is. It, it helps to have food, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so vital. And, you know, uh, one other thing I want to touch on too, as far as the the legacy, it's extremely extremely important to to know that you're going to give this to them while you're still alive, so that you get to watch the blessings occur. Yeah. Like I I hear so many families, like grandparents and great grandparents, say, you know, when we pass away, you'll get X amount of dollars, and it's like, why would you squander seeing the blessing? But I, I know that's a, yeah. another subject for another night, but but you know. If you do it right, you'll get to see the blessings, um, you know, real time. And I think that's just something that's so important as a, a provider and as a dad. So, yeah. Yeah. In absolutely. my wife's case, he just, he passed away kind of early. Um, mm-hmm. And they were all still like, you know, high she was the oldest and was still in high yeah. school. So that she didn't have anything to use it on yet. But yeah, I mean, it was there for them the second they were going to be, you know, college age and stuff. So, yeah. Justin. Yeah, really, yeah. So what money does, it can give you a legacy. Um, it can help solve problems for you. You know, um, a lot of young men are in jail because they didn't have five grand to get out, you know, to get bail. I mean, it's very simple, you know, so um, you got a car problem. Um, you can't fix it. Now you can't get to work. You get fired. You know, if you had five grand in the bank to uh, fix that, you get the car fixed You keep your job. Um, you know, money makes a lot of problems go away. Um, it can create more problems, <laughs> which is another issue entirely. But uh, generally speaking, that's what money's for. It solves problems um, and it gives you access to your time. Right. Um, freedom of your time is really the only thing that can make you happy about money. You know, having a Lambo, having a slightly bigger house, you know, none of that stuff leads to long-term happiness. Um, but having control over your time is the number one indicator of whether you're going to be happy or not. Um, so that's not, I don't know. <laughs> I can cry pretty easily in a Lambo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's I'm right on that. I forget who he is, but he's like, they say money can't buy happiness, but it can buy a jet ski. Try not smiling on a jet ski. You can't. It's impossible. It's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, we joke about it. But but in all seriousness, all the psychological studies, you know, mm-hmm. show time and time again um, above a certain point. You know, if you're dead broke, um, it's very hard to be happy in that kind of situation. But above, you know, a, a minimum kind of middle class um, amount of money, you know, having $10 million is not going to make you happier than having $5 million. It just doesn't, you know. Um, so yep. control of your time is, is really the key one. Um, so again, back to the gambling stuff, remain 100% sober when you're even viewing your assets. Um, if you have a beer in your hand, do not look at your portfolio. It doesn't exist. <laughs> right? The only time you're allowed to look at your portfolio is when you are 100% sober. Um, I'm not going to give any uh, like advice towards um, personal finances, debt, you know, the Susie Orman kind of stuff. That's a whole different discussion. Uh, what I will say, though, is if you have serious debt, if you have credit card debt, if you have high interest debt, anything over, you know, 15, 20 percent, um, pay that first, especially in this market. I'm sure you guys have seen how uh, how bad stocks are getting hit. We're all talking about recession. Um, you are not going to outperform your debt load by investing, yeah. um, meaning if you have to pay 15 percent back on your credit card. 
um, you're not going to make 15% this year on stocks to make up for it, right? right. That might, might have been a little different. A couple of years ago, you know, the market was going crazy. You go, having a little debt is not the end of the world because it gives me access to capital so I can invest. It's really not the case here anymore. You know, now is a good time to pay off debt um, and be smart about stuff because there's not a whole lot of insane, you know, to the moon type of opportunities going on right now. You're probably better off paying off that debt, um, at least for the next couple of years. We'll see. I yeah. could be totally wrong about that. Market could shoot up tomorrow, but uh doesn't look like it's going that way. Um, yeah. Total, so, total. Uh, the best book for that, by the way, I'm sorry to interject there, but uh, Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey is a fantastic start. Uh, for anybody that's in debt, um, it it starts with baby steps, and there I think there's 12 different steps, and um, it primarily just works on getting uh, a snowball effect happening for your debt. And man, when you start seeing real actionable results, just like with working out or anything else in life, you really start to get into it, and you start getting passionate about it, and it just yeah. his his book goes to the psychology as well. So it's yeah, it's a fantastic book. It's yeah. a great feeling. It's exciting. I mean, it's yeah. kind of like you know our ancestors were indentured servants, brought over on boats, and they literally had to work until their debt was gone, and then they, they were free. And in a lot of ways, student debt's not that different, right? I mean, it, it uh, you know when you finally get rid of that student debt, it feels like your indentured servitude yeah. is finally over with. Um, so that's uh, <laughs> go ahead, George. Hey, I was to say, Justin, I think had something he wanted to bring up and. Oh, yeah. What do you got, Justin? So uh, you actually, I was joking about it. I said, don't give your money to your wife. But actually, like, like my wife's not the problem. Don't get me wrong. But in previous relationships, I'm not going to name names, you know, because I want to get sued. But um, let's just say that allowing certain people to have a hold of your finances is not a good thing, man. And you, you talked about addictive personalities. Sometimes these folks who are closest to you are the ones who are addicted to something. They hide it from you very well. Or they go and just spend because they think money grows on trees or, the, I don't know, just whatever mind frame they're in that allows them to just go spend. So you need to be careful who you trust with your money. Even if it's a spouse, you need to be careful how you spend your money. And then, yep. uh, you know, as a dad, you also have to be careful who you trust with your money. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, my father-in-law is an investor and my brother-in-law, and they both know their shit very, very well. And they take care of, you know, my wife and I's money. But, you know, there's investors out there who will... 100% run away with your money. So you have mm-hmm. to be very cautious as to who you choose and, you know, go with somebody reputable and, and, and try to find somebody that, you know, has been used by a friend or a family member. Cause like I said, there are wolves out there, man, and they are in sheep's clothing. Yep. And if you have money, you're a big target. People yep. know it. They see you got a nice house. They're not dumb. You know, they know uh, you got some money. So, mm-hmm. um, absolutely. It's, uh, that, that is a super important and, uh, so the term fiduciary, if you haven't heard that before, um, it's kind of a funny word, uh, basically means that uh, the person is legally and morally obligated to take care of your money, right? So if you give your money to a broker, they can do whatever they want. You know, they can say, hey, you should buy this uh, rocket stock. It's going to be great, right. right? Well, what you don't know is they're getting 5% of everyone that buys that money, right? Yeah. Like Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that rocket yep. goes straight down. Wah, yep. wah, exactly. Right. So you're better off with a fiduciary if you are going to have a professional manage your money. Um, and that just means that's someone uh, whose entire job is to make sure you don't lose your money, right? They'll talk about your goals, uh, all that kind of stuff, and make sure that it's well taken care of. That being said, it's an expensive service. Um, I personally, um, you know, have seen 2 to 3% uh, per year of all of your assets that you have to pay to this financial advisor uh, if you want them, you know, to take care of your money. If you've got a family friend you trust, whatever, more power to you. But if you go with, you know, you kind of stock professional, your Ameriprises, those kinds of guys... They're going to take 3% every year when you include fees and all that. Yeah. Um, let's say you've done well for yourself. You're a millionaire. 
That's $30,000 a year, right? Uh, which over a lifetime is something like $1.5 million that you'll give someone just for watching your money. Um, yeah. That's a big and job, and don't get me here's wrong. The thing, though, here's the thing about a fiduciary, though. The way my father-in-law has, has explained it, they also can make sure that certain family members don't get screwed after the event of your death. So if you're willing to give $30,000 or whatever percent every year, if you've got that kind of money, it's worth the peace of mind knowing that your son or your daughter is going to get this money instead of a cousin or a stepkid or in the event sure. that your will is not fully complete, even if it's not on your will. Yeah. If you yeah. have all that under a fiduciary, they can say, hey, no, this money's supposed to be left to my son, yeah. not to my, my current wife. Because like, right. there's people that aren't even blood that will take all of your money. And I've seen it happen to families before, and, and that's where you get the peace of mind when you pay for that. So I think it's worth the money first. Now, now with the rate of return, just for the people that, that don't have a, a strong finance background, what is the average rate of return um, in, in stocks uh, per year, Dustin? Uh, so if, if you go from 1920, before the, uh, the market depression crash, the Great Depression, um, up to 2020, the S&P 500 index, um, that's America's top 500 um, companies by market cap. That's the big boys. That's Google. That's Tesla. Apple's the big one. Um, Apple's a great stock. They've been paying dividends for years. Uh, Warren Buffett, I'm sure you've heard of. Um, his company, Berkshire Hathaway, owns uh, half of it as an Apple, right? He's in love with that stock. Um, so all those big boys are the S&P 500. Um, something like 6% per year is the average return over that entire time. But that's a misleading statistic because it doesn't mean one year I have a dollar, next year I have a dollar six, next year I have a dollar 12. It means I'm up 50% one year and then I'm down 30% the next year, right? The, the market swings like crazy. Um, but if you are insane enough to just hold on to a stock for 100 years, um, your S&P 500 index has returned about 6% annually um, yeah. since, uh, since 1920. And what that means is about every seven to eight years, you can expect your money to double. So 6% isn't that exciting, but all you got to do is wait seven years and your $100,000 is now $200,000. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it was Albert Einstein who said uh, the power of compounding returns is the most powerful force in the universe or something along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty amazing stuff. Um, yeah. So that's 6%, right? You pay a financial advisor 3%. Right. Now you're getting 3% a year. So now it takes 14 years to double your money. Right. And that's kind of yeah. what I wanted to show. Like, this is something that people need to think about when they're going into this is, you know, what the fee may not seem like a big deal, but over time, especially over decades, it's a huge deal. Um, so just keep that in mind, depending yeah. on who and what you're, you're investing in. To kind of play right. devil's advocate, though, you know, so I'm I am admittedly not, you know, the financial guru or an inv I, investing is you know, I, I've done, I did my Roth IRA as soon as I like became a lieutenant in the army and had some extra change to start putting away because I knew like I think you're going to get to it, but like time in investment is more important than like how much necessarily later in life type of thing. Uh, you know, so I've just done like safe things because I don't know what I'm doing, right? But so you know, I'm probably at a point in my life now where I, <laughs> I might need to consider paying someone to to do this for me to like really get aggressive here while I'm in my 30s, right? But um, you know, devil's advocate. I'm I'm an outsourcer in my civilian job, right? I I outsource services and technology to companies, and my argument is this is what I do for a living. This is my only focus is being the best at this. Your job is to build trucks, or your job is to build rockets, or whatever, right? You don't know anything about this. I know everything about this. Let me do it for you. Pay me the service fee. So in this sense, 
that's the devil's advocate argument is, mm. you know, I, you guys on, on, on the right of my screen here obviously know this stuff way, way, way better than me. Um, and I've just done kind of like safe investments that are like kind of good to do, but I, I've probably not done what I should have been doing. But I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. Um, you know, if you're completely just lost in the sauce, like you're saying, don't just go buy a bunch of stocks or something. You know, you're, you don't want yeah, to just throw yeah. your money away, type of thing. But there's yeah. A- well, uh, the other thing about that percentage fee that you have to understand is, like George just said, you're paying for that person's expertise and skill set. Mm-hmm. They could get very aggressive, and yes, you may be paying three percent, but they could make you an additional five to ten percent every year, or even more. You know, you never know, and they could be so good at what they do that you're making money hand over fist year after year because that's the right person you have. But it's hard to find those people. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't exist. So that's, that's kind of the dirty secret to financial management is nobody beats the markets, Mm. not the pros, not the amateurs over the long term. Nobody beats the markets. Um, Warren Buffett has good on him. Warren Buffett has nobody else has Um, hedge funds. They're all blowing up. They're losing all their money. Uh, these multi-billion dollar, you know, quants, right? These are the smartest guys on the planet going to uh, Harvard and Yale for finance. They're, they're not beating the market, right? It's, it's a weird thing, right? Because you think, oh, plumbers are experts, rocket builders are experts, you know, people in medicine, um, you know, give it to the expert, right? It doesn't look like, and again, that's kind of a dirty secret of finance, doesn't look like the, uh, the pros, the experts in finance actually do any better than just somebody who sticks their money in an index. So, interesting. Um, so Feel I've, free to prove me wrong and show me. You know, I've actually never heard that. Exist, but... That's that's interesting. And this, to hear. So this is a point that Morgan Housel makes in yeah. the Psychology of Money is uh, nobody beats the market. So the S and P five hundred again, your top um, five hundred stocks. Um, only two out of those five hundred stocks will actually beat the average over the long term, mm-hmm. right? So you have less than a one percent chance of your individual stock actually beating the index, right? It's weird, right? Because you think, oh, these guys are so smart. Or these women, you know, they know what they're doing. Um, they can beat the indexes and their fees will be more than made up for it by, uh, you know, the extra money they make you. And it just <laughs> it doesn't work out yeah. that way. So, um, you know, and again, this, this is the research that I've done. And, um, you know, according to Housel, and I, it's, I'm happy to hear some disagreement on that. Um, and I'm I, sure think, I think we're talking possible. different investments. Well, I think we're also talking different investments, but. Yeah. There's different types of investments. When you're going against the market, you know more about that, obviously. I, I don't know jack shit about it. So yeah, that may be the case. But, you know, there's other types that absolutely, absolutely will give you a return. And yeah, if you have the right person who's smart enough to pull back when things are bad and, and, and then get aggressive when or vice versa, you know, depending on the market or whatever you're investing in. The, the right opportunity, if the right person is there to tell you, hey, this is when you want to get aggressive, and they do it properly, they can make you a lot of money. Whereas if they're like, hey, hey, some, some crazy stuff's coming, just chill, and they could save you a lot of money. It's, it, I'm just saying there is there is a reason for the, the fees, and I, in being in sales, I get it. There is value to it, but like you said, you know the market. so. Yeah, I mean, that may be the hidden trick or whatever that they pull the wool over everyone's eyes. But at the end of the day, I mean, if, if, if you're making money, can you really complain? I mean, yeah, could you be making more? But are you going to know when to pull things out and do the right things? And maybe you would because you know what you're doing. But Joe Schmo, like me, who's a dumbass when it comes to this, 
I'm not, I'm going to screw up every time. And, and so. you bring up a good point. So um, psychology of money is essentially that when things are going really well, we think it's going to keep going well and we want to buy, mm-hmm. right? So most people who are managing their own money and not following a set system will buy at the top. And then when things start going down, they panic and they sell so, and they yeah. sell at the bottom. And then things start going back up and they feel good and they buy again. And before you know it, you know, you're buying at the complete opposite kind of wrong time. Um, it's, it's natural human instinct to yeah. want to buy things when things are good, which is the worst time to buy them, yeah. right? You may have heard the term buy blood in the streets. It's very hard to do that, right? Um, you know, now's a great example. Everyone's talking about recession. The market's going to go down forever. You know, who wants to buy stocks right now? Um, well, we, I certainly don't. Emotionally, I don't want to. Yeah. Um, go ahead, George. I was going to say, we were just joking about this, I think, like a week ago or something, right? We were what, the, I think one of us sent the picture of like how everything tanked like really hard. And, I, and we were all just like, yeah, it's all on sale now. Right. <laughs> Time to yeah, buy. there you go. Exactly. You know? yeah. I haven't actually bought any, but, you know. It is. Yeah. It is maybe time if you got some spare change to to throw a few shekels out there and see what happens. You know. So if you've never heard the term dollar cost averaging before, um, that's uh, that's the way to go. Um, whether uh, we naturally do it if you have a four hundred one k, which is uh, if your job offers it, um, it is a tax free. Uh, I'm sorry, tax deferred uh, vehicle that allows you to buy stocks without uh, paying taxes on the gains. Um, until you've retired. And then at that point, you will. It's, it's a deferred um, uh, tax. But you'll put that in every two weeks or every week or whenever you get your paycheck. Yep. Um, so that's called dollar cost averaging. You don't care whether the market's up or down or left or right. Um, you put that money in and you invest it. Um, and that tends to kind of do the best. Um, individual investors who tend to beat the market are people who are dead and nobody realized it um, or who lost their passwords to their accounts. Those Those two people crush everybody else because they consistently uh, hold their stocks and, and you know, they, um, they're able to kind of weather the storm. Um, so, you know, in some sense, uh, you know, not looking at it, it really is. Um, and again, this is, this is what the evidence is showing. I wish that it was, uh, you know, that it wasn't that way. It'd be more fun if, you know, the more research you put in, the more you got into it. Um, but it does not appear that investing, you know, kind of works that way. Um, yeah. So dollar cost averaging is your best bet every two weeks or whenever it is. Put money into um, uh, whatever uh, index you think is appropriate. Um, the classic model is sixty uh, percent stocks and forty percent bonds. Um, so uh, that's changing a little bit, just because interest rates have changed quite a bit. Um, but uh, generally speaking, those are kind of the two big ones you want to hold. Um, and then I'll talk a little bit about some alternative investments later, maybe like what you're looking at, Justin. Um, the if you're lucky enough to have access to private markets, um, those can massively outperform. Um, so, again, that's uh, most of us are not accredited investors, uh, meaning we are not allowed to invest in private companies. Um, if you're lucky enough that you can, they are super high risk, but also um, give you a lot of potential to make a lot of money. So as long as you don't invest too much in them, um, they can be a good investment vehicle. Um, but there's a good chance they go to zero. Um, so, you know, great example would be uh, Uber. Um, you know, went public a couple of years ago, the stock was like two pennies, you know, when it first came out and then it was like $30 a share, you know, when it went public. So, um, you made, you know, if you put a hundred bucks in, you made like a million dollars. It was insane. You know, so the, the returns on private investment can be huge. Um, and you know, Justin, if you know somebody who has access to that kind of stuff, um, those guys definitely can beat the public markets. Um, but most of us do not have access to that. The uh, SEC is the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, According to them, for the protection of the general public, they do not allow people who make less than $200,000 U.S. per year 
uh, to invest in private companies. Um, so you can go uh, to, you know, you can buy lottery tickets, um, you can go put it all in red, but you can't buy Uber before it goes public. I personally disagree with that. I think, um, you know, if you're able to pass a test of some sort that says, I'm not an idiot, I'm not going to throw all my money away, you know, please let me buy, you know, one of these cool companies that's just getting started. Um, I really believe in it, um, but that's not allowed. So, you know, topic for a different, uh, different podcast. Um, but uh, so in any case, um, plus minus on financial advisors, um, I, I can see for a lot of people it's very valuable uh, because you have someone watching out for your money. Um, that being said, it's a very expensive service. Um, you pay a premium for it and uh, you have to decide for yourself whether that's, um, whether that's worth it or not. Um, so as far as where you want your money as a dad, um, one of the worst things you can do is be in a position where you're forced to sell assets that are in a really bad position, right? So let's say um, you don't have any cash in the bank, right? You just stick everything in the stock market because you're like, man, I'm, I'm a good investor. I'm going to do this. Um, all my money is going to go in stocks and you have nothing liquid, meaning nothing that you could just have as cash if like, you needed it, right? Like a savings account um, even, right? What's that? Like a savings account is like the most liquid, right? Yep. Correct. Like yep. Uh, or a checking account the even because the yeah. savings account technically takes a while to withdraw from. So the most liquid thing is a checking account. Okay. Uh, but yeah, right. Good example. So if you decide, you know what, I'm only getting 1% or 0% on my savings or checking account. I don't want any money in there, right? Forget that. Uh, I'm going to put all my money in stocks. Uh, well, guess what? Now, uh, you know, your, <clears throat> your kids braces need to be put on. Um, you <laughs> forgot a, a payment on your house. Um, the you car. Know, your car breaks down. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this and you know, before you know it, uh, you owe like you know eight thousand dollars that you don't have, right? And you're like, "Well, crap! Um, I guess I have to sell my stocks because that's what I have to do, right?" So you sell them, and now the market goes up, you know, and you lost all that money you would have had. Um, so the idea is keep plenty of money liquid um, so that you have dry powder. Um, you know, if you need it, you have that cash that you can buy if you see an opportunity. Um, and it'll it'll keep you from going crazy as well. You'll never be in a situation, you know, where an emergency really gets you. So um, personally, uh, for whatever your total assets are worth, your house, your investments, all that, keep 10% of it liquid, 10% in cash. Um, because it will keep you out of trouble. Again, we talked about, you know, money gets you out of trouble and it, uh, you know, gives you access to more time. So uh, nothing wrong with having that money um, and have some cold, hard cash in the house. There are so many people who will give you a cash discount, you know, um, or, uh, you know, um, there, there are certain things that just having actual physical cash, you know, can get you things that you can't have with, you know, with a checking account. I mean, even um, gas so. stations, there's like gas stations around my town where like if you pay cash, it's like 10 cents cheaper. Yeah, exactly. And that's huge, right? That adds that's, up. I mean, um, yeah. And so... You know, there's this whole, oh, inflation is inflating well your money, you know, all that. Absolutely, it certainly is. Um, you know what's losing money faster than inflation, though? The stock market. Yeah. <laughs> it's down 25%. So, you know, ironically, if you were someone who said, oh, I'm not going to invest, I'm just going to put it in cash, you're sitting pretty, you know, for the past eight months. Um, so having some cash is a key um, element to keeping your sanity. Um, and so uh, Morgan Housel talks about a reasonable versus a rational investor. Um, if we were a robot, and, uh, you know, we didn't care what our wife thought or our mom thought. You're sitting at the, uh, you know, turkey day dinner 
Everyone's like, oh, how's those investments doing? And you're like, I don't know. I haven't looked. I don't care, right? But you're not. You know exactly how you're doing. Your money's down. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, it's very hard to be a rational, robotic decision maker, right? So a reasonable person has plenty of cash liquid um, and has access to that if they, if they need it. Um, and you won't get quite the same returns as if you put all your money into investments, but you'll be able to sleep at night and you'll feel a lot better about it. Um, well, uh, chapter 10 in this book is save money. So if you're wondering where we're coming with this, chapter 10 is the chapter to read when you want to learn about saving money. And one of the one of the quotes that I thought was so awesome that it stood out, I actually had to mark it uh, when I was listening, was savings is a hedge against life's inevitability to surprise the hell out of you. And done right, it's meant to protect you from the unexpected. Yep. So yeah, savings is a huge thing, man. It's it's such a good hedge and a, a hedge of protection for your family and for yourself. Like you're saying, if assets go go belly up. So there's another good line in there in your notes that says, "Your savings is the gap between your ego and your income." Yeah, I love that line. Yep. It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And that's that's hundred percent true, well, right? And, because and that, you know, anything beyond even... your basic needs is is you know uh, your ego. And it there's is nothing yeah. wrong with having some ego. Oh, I want that. Or, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard, man. Like, cause it's, there's a million things that are, and it, sometimes it's your kids. I want, I want that. Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can I have that? And it's like, oh, it's five bucks here, six bucks there, seven bucks there, 10 bucks there. And then by the end of the day, it's a hundred bucks. Like, holy crap. <laughs> no, yeah. no, you don't need any more. Stop. You know, like it's, it's those little things chunk up over the course of a month, you know? So, yeah, especially if your wife has Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, Hide the credit card, gentlemen. Amazon Prime Day is coming next week. Every so, wife, every wife has Amazon that. Prime. I think that is that is a woman's like best friend somehow. The Amazon Prime is just tailored to like the women. It's- Brain. It's their online Hobby Lobby. <laughs> it is. It is hundred percent. Now, now I will. I will also interject this. My wife gets me a lot of really, really good stuff that I use the hell out of off of Amazon. Yeah. So I'm really not complaining. But it is kind of funny. I'll check the you know checking or whatever. It's like ting 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 ting. Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah, and you know, so we're talking about spending. Um, expense ratios are um, are really key. You know, when you look at um, stuff you're going to buy. So. Um, great example, um, uh, Kathy Woods, ARKK fund, um, is really popular. It's got a bunch of Tesla in it, kind of fancy stocks. Um, it's got like a 1% annual expense ratio, right? So you're paying your financial advisor 3%, you're giving Kathy Wood 1% before you know it, you know, you're not making any money. Um, whereas your Vanguard funds, um, are like 0.01%. They're almost nothing, right? So if you shop around, um, different funds and stocks have different expense ratios. So go for the ones that are less expensive because you're getting the exact same thing for less money, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, when it comes to going to the grocery store, clipping coupons, you know, saving 50 cents on the tomatoes, everyone likes that. They're, oh, you know, no big deal. But for some reason, our brain doesn't really jump to percentages when it comes to investing and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, over a lifetime, I mean, you can literally be talking about millions of dollars um, on just percentages. Um, and you're not going to get that clipping coupons, you know. So uh, whenever possible, you want to really be looking at uh, very low expense ratios, whether it's stocks, bonds, any of that kind of stuff. Um, so we talked a little bit about percentages. 10% cash is a great place to be. Um, Somewhere you know between five and ten percent of your money can be kind of in a play fund. That's where you buy your individual stocks. You know, um, I personally uh, love Tesla. I think it's a great company. I bought some Tesla, not necessarily because I think it's going to beat the market. I do, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it might. You know, I you know, I don't know. 
Um, but I love the company. Um, it gives me a chance to, you know, kind of follow what's going on with them. Um, and that's a really fun thing for me. It almost is a, a piece of identity, right? To say, uh, oh, I own this stock. So that means I'm, you know, kind of aligned in some way with, with somebody that I like, you know, so, um, that's kind of a fun way to play with stuff. Um, uh, I own, um, fractional shares, uh, and some collectibles. Um, so instead of buying, uh, an actual say baseball card, that's valuable, um, a couple of new companies have come out with ways of buying a piece of a Lamborghini um, or a piece of the uh, Declaration of Independence. So kind of fun. So I'll do a, a quick screen share here and see if I can uh, get this going. All right. There we go. Yep. It's loading. All right. So uh, can you guys see that okay? Uh, it just came up. Yep. Declaration. Okay. Perfect. Yep. So <clears throat> there were maybe 200 of these printed um, back in 1776. So since it is uh, Independence Day, I um, picked, uh, picked this one. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, they, uh, this particular company bought this at auction. Um, and then, so it's a $2.7 million market cap, meaning if you wanted to buy this today, it would cost you $2.7 million. Um, however, each share of it is $34. Right. So do the math on that. They made, you know, however many thousands of shares that you can buy pieces of. And then they created a marketplace where you can buy and sell um, pieces of the Declaration of Independence. I think that's pretty cool, personally. Now, um, just quick. This isn't like an NFT. This is like the legit Declaration of Independence. This is actually the Declaration of Independence. Correct. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they take really good care of it. They've got experts that are white gloving it and making oh, sure okay, that it's okay. well so, taken care of. OK. Yeah. So it's it's not, it's like it's almost in a way it's more of a. It's all, it's kind of like funding a historical society in a sense a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm not saying it's a good or a bad investment. I right. have no idea. Just I just think different. it's really fun to own a piece of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> you know, so gotcha. um, as far as my play money goes, <clears throat> that's that's kind of one of the places I went. Um, same concept here. This is a Honus Wagner card. You guys may have heard of it. He uh, hated uh, tobacco which was kind of rare back in the 1930s or whenever he was playing. So this is an all-star player, kind of like Babe Ruth, who didn't like tobacco, and that's where the baseball cards went. So there might be a 1,000 Babe Ruth cards, but there's only 10 Honus Wagners. And things that are super rare tend to be worth more money. So this is a million-dollar baseball card. Um, and so you know, it might go up or down, you know, depending on kind of how you want to invest it. Um, so just a couple wow. of kind of fun... Um, different things to invest in. You can put uh, cryptocurrency in this uh, category as well. Um, you know, I think of it as a fun thing that I like to transact with. Um, it, it's play money. You know, I, I never would put, you know, 20, 30, 40% of my assets into cryptocurrency. Uh, it'll drive you insane. It's up and down too much. There are lots of people who have bought a bunch of Bitcoin, <clears throat> are very proud of it, and have done very well. You know, good for them. Um, does that mean that it was smart of them to put half of their money into, you know, Bitcoin? Probably not. Yeah, um, they just got lucky. But, you know, if they, yeah. if they put 2% in, then good for them, and I'm, I'm glad it worked. You yeah. sounded a little salty there, bud. <laughs> I mean... Oh, no, I'm I'm one of those people. I uh, I put a ton of money into uh, cryptocurrency, and it, it worked out really well for me. But, um, you know, I, would, I, I kept it at a small enough percentage that it was meaningful, and I made some money, and that was great. But if it did really badly, um, I wasn't going to starve. Um, yeah. so it allowed me to sleep at night because even with the small, you know, I think I had 2% of my portfolio in it and that was driving me insane. I was staying up till three in the morning every night looking at it. It was, it was too much, you know, so now I'm very careful with, you know, kind of how I think about it because it is such a powerful dopamine hit to watch your, you know, 
I was buying uh, Bitcoin around like ten thousand dollars, and then you know went to like sixty or seventy, and I was like freaking out. You know, so I sold most of it, and it was uh, it was really exciting. But you know, was it good for my long term health? Probably not. <laughs> you know, so I'll keep that in mind as a lesson. You know, yeah. maybe not to uh, um, to do that. Uh, so this is an example of a savings bond, um, and these are called the Series I savings bonds. Can you see that? Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's good. All right, perfect. So your traditional savings bond is the Series E, um, and all that's going to be is the base rate. Um, have you guys heard everyone talking about when the Fed decides it's going to raise or lower rates? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So that's the Fed rate, right? That's the rate that banks get. Now, you don't get that, unfortunately, right? Because the Fed rate is only, I think it's like 2% right now. Um, but you're going to pay 3 4 5 6% if you want to buy a car or a house um, or any of those kinds of things. We just don't get that special bank rate. Um, so what these Series I savings bonds do is they track the CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index. And I'm sure you've heard uh, some talk about that. It's a measure of inflation. Um, and it's used uh, to gauge, you know, kind of how policy should happen, right? Because right now our inflation rate is close to 9%. Um, that's really not a good thing. Right. Um, if you consistently have nine percent inflation, it's very, very bad for the economy. Um, things get too expensive too quickly. Um, uh, people's wages don't go up, but their price of things go right. up. So I'm getting paid the same, but my groceries cost twice as much. I'm not happy. Right. So um, everyone in finances goal in the government is to get inflation down as much as possible. Um, so these Series I savings bonds are pretty cool uh, because they track that inflation rate. Um, so currently, they offer a 9.6% uh, return, meaning if I buy the maximum, which is $10,000 of these savings bonds, um, I would get $962 every year just for owning the bond. Um, so that's pretty good, right? If you own all stocks, they might go up, they might go down. Um, you don't know. You might lose money. You can't lose money with this, right? Your initial $10,000 that you put in will never be worth less than $10,000. The rate might change. You know, if inflation drops, I might go down to 5%, and then I'm only making um, $500 a year on my investment, but I'm not losing money. So that's kind of the benefit of having bonds and not just stocks, is it buffers your portfolio during bad years so you don't lose as much money. Um, right. And then uh, you have the stocks to, you know, do well for you when, uh, when things are going well. Um, so up to $10,000 per U.S. Uh, resident uh, per year. Um, I maxed this out for myself and my wife immediately. I saw that rate and said, that's insane. Uh, because, you know, most savings bonds, one, have risk. Um, so I made a mistake in saying you can't lose money with a bond. You can because if the company goes bankrupt, you do lose the savings bond, right? They don't end up paying you because they're bankrupt. They don't have to, yeah. right? Um, if the U.S. government uh, goes under, <laughs> you're out of luck. But you have bigger problems if the U.S. government goes under. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is about as safe as it gets um, for uh, for investment purposes. So this is at <clears throat> uh, treasurydirect.gov. Um, if you have further questions about it, ask one of us. Um, you can buy as little as you want, right? You can buy, it looks like $25 of this savings bond. And then you can do that thing that I talked about earlier. You can dollar cost average as much as you want. Yeah. So, you know, if so, you wanted to put in $25 every two weeks, you can do that. This seems like a good time for, the, uh, there is a chapter talking about the, the whole time in the market thing versus, you know, and this is something I actually kind of learned. I, I was fortunate enough to go to like a Dave Ramsey. Um, are, you, are you done sharing? Okay, yeah, let me close that out. Um, 
when I was like at 22 or something, and he made that point home. It's like he showed a comparison of if someone just puts in $50 a month in their Roth IRA starting at like age 18 and they don't take anything out until they're like 70, they would have more money than someone who started at like, I think, 45, putting in like the max every single year or some some insane comparison. And I was like, whoa, like I'm 22 yeah. already. Like, so I started doing like, you know, as much as I could, you know, within my means type of thing. And so like, I mean, I'm hoping that that's going to work out okay for me and whatnot in the, in the long run. But um, can you like, I, I know there's the chapter on that talking about that. And there's the comparison of, I think like Simmons versus Buffett and all that kind of stuff. Can you kind of go into that a little bit more? Cause I think it's really important for people to like, see that, that especially if you're a younger dad, like you may not think that 50 bucks is going to go a long way, but 50 bucks from now until you're 65 has a lot of time to grow, you know, and, and, and time is that you were talking about it. There's the ups and downs in the market. You, time weathers that, you know, swing the peaks and valleys type of thing. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just like I talked about housing, if you're lucky enough to be born in the United States of America, um, you have access to the most powerful economy in the world. Uh, our returns have absolutely crushed the rest of the world, right? We have the Googles, we have the Amazons. Um, there's a few companies in other countries that have done great, um, but it, it's dwarfed by the American monstrosity that is our economic uh, juggernaut. Um, if you were unlucky enough to be Japanese investing in the 1980s, and you put all that money in, like we talked about, uh, your money was worth less in 2020 than it was at the peak of the market in 1980. Um, so there's millions of Japanese people who socked away money every year, and uh, they, they have less money you know, than they did when they started investing. Um, wow. And uh, you know, so there is some value to looking at <clears throat> investing outside the United States in case that doesn't continue to happen. Um, but uh, uh, you know, the past hundred years have just been amazing for Americans for investing. Um, so uh, you know, I, I, I want to take a time out on that note, actually. Oh, please, uh, yeah. do, you, do you guys remember that article that got shared recently? I think it was in our text group, our text chain, uh, how the, the East right now is trying mm -hmm. to uh, conglomerate some governments and create their own currency to rival the U.S. dollar and kill, well, bricks. kill the U.S. dollar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa is the BRICS alliance. Yeah, mm -hmm. sounds like they need a little freedom. <laughs> well, that's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah. to your point, I'm just that, kidding. Like that, or that, am I? But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that was the kind of the point, though, is that like you don't know what's going to happen, right? And I think there was another in your notes here was like, don't make future decisions with your money based off historical events because history may rhyme, but it's never repeats type of thing and i mean yeah this is a perfect example justin i mean yeah that we don't know if that that may have huge impacts on us <laughs> maybe in a bad way um but you don't know so like it, i think what you were kind of saying dustin was you know don't put all your eggs in that basket look at stocks bonds all these different things but yeah and that's exactly you know i'm uh i'm a very patriotic person and uh, i invest in american companies because i i think they're the best um and uh you know i think they'll continue to outperform that being said it is definitely prudent to have um some investments that are outside of expecting u.s companies to continue to do well you never know right i mean crazier things have happened um and uh yeah. you know it makes sense again you don't want to be broke if uh Apple suddenly decides, you know, they, uh, they're not going to be a good company anymore and they just go downhill. And then, you know, it, it, I don't think it's going to happen, but it certainly could. Yeah. So don't put yourself in a situation where you are reliant on other people, you know, for your money to, uh, to, to do well for you is, mm -hmm. uh, is key there. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. So, oh, there you go. That, uh, be a paranoid optimist. 
right? That's um, the expression that he used. So yeah. optimism is key, right? If you genuinely believe the world is going to be worse in 50 years um, for your children, don't invest. Why would you, right? If, uh, if the world is going to be terrible and, um, you know, nobody's going to make any money, uh, buy gold, um, buy, uh, you know, assets, uh, buy, you know, palladium, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Buy, um, buy bullets. But if you genuinely believe, yeah, exactly, that uh, the world is going to be a better place in 50 years, that, uh, you know, people are going to have more money and um, that companies are going to be doing cool new things, keep investing, right? That's what optimism is. Being a pessimist is kind of sad and lame. It sounds cool. It's very uh, tempting, right? Because pessimists sound smart. They say, oh, you know, the um, America's weak now. It's not doing well. You know, uh, they're going to get crushed by everybody. So, um, you know, don't invest in America, right? They, they sound smart and clever, uh, but they've been wrong, you know, for, for hundreds of years. And, uh, you know, I, I think we can, um, as optimists, you know, hope that uh, things will continue to go well. Um, yeah. I mean, but like it's how, also important to be paranoid, how, right? Yeah. Well, like how many people have come out over the years being like, the end of the world is going to be on this day at this time. And it's like, yeah, okay, buddy. You know, if it is, and if it wrong. is, yeah. and if it is, it's like, yeah. okay, well then, I mean, I guess time to go. You know, it's like, what, what do we do? Stop living till then? Or something? I don't know. Well, yeah. In my opinion, pessimism is, is more persuasive than optimism. And he says that in the book and a lot of key points. And like one of the things he goes over in the book is how, you know, if you look at the last hundred years, We've had like 10 something recessions, two world wars. We had a great depression. We've had all these things. And you would think just looking at that history track that we'd all be broke and just completely dumb poor. But, you know, we're still like 8,000 times wealthier and easier living than we did when all this stuff started, when the stock markets originally opened. So, you know, the, the, the pessimism was all throughout just, you know, woven in that history. But, mm. you know, when you look at it um, from a bird's eye view, hindsight, it's it's something that can make you optimistic. And, you know, in my opinion, optimism always leads to ingenuity. Uh, a great example of that is Elon Musk. You know, the man is extremely optimistic and he looks at um, things where most people are pessimistic, like this is impossible. He says, OK, well, it's got this amount of problems. Let's handle the first one and then the next one and the next. And before you know it, you got SpaceX or yep. you've got something like that, you know. So uh, I think the optimist uh, will always come out ahead because they believe in change and solutions. Uh, whereas and America has a culture that celebrates that, right? I mean, we talk about our innovators as heroes. You, you talk to people in Ireland, uh, you know, China, um, you know, Africa, a lot of other places. They don't look them that way. They they say, oh, these guys are you know just rich jerks, right? Um, and there, there's Americans that think that way too. But generally speaking, if you want people who really celebrate entrepreneurs and scientists and inventors, it's Americans. You know, it's it's built into our culture and our DNA. And there's a reason that uh, you know we continue to kick butt. That being said, a lot of these people coming in are immigrants, right? Elon Musk, great example. He's not American. He's South African. Um, if you look at the uh, top CEOs of like the top 20 companies in America, like 19 of them are like Asian or like of, of some are, are not born in America. So um, a lot of our strength comes from diversity and people coming in and, um, you know, taking advantage of that culture. Um, and yeah. so uh, what is the joke? Um, what can Brown do for you was uh, the, I think it was UPS that used to have that. Yeah. And now like, like 15 of the top 20 companies are run by Indian dudes. So their joke is what can Brown do for you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I, I, work, of, uh, I work for an Indian <laughs> company. I mean, it's I, what I'm sorry. I work for an Indian company and you know, we have a U.S. Oh, okay. but yeah. yeah, I mean, 
and we we we've grown i joined the company three and a half years ago and our revenue by you know per year has grown like four billion since then so i mean it's just growing insane so like i mean i'm kicking myself for not buying some of the stock back when i joined yeah. the company they're like ah, no, yeah, yeah tesla tesla so just to kind of touch on on what dustin was saying tesla is really a great place to invest if you've already invested in it because they got a truck that's coming out that gets over 775 miles uh, on its current batteries, and they're saying that they're going to double, if not triple, that in the next three to five years. And here's the crazy thing. They said you will literally never change the brakes, ever, because the electric motors that run off the uh, regeneration brake system literally stop the vehicle for them, and it can tow on just two of its motors more than any turbo diesel can out there. So, and they, they put a million mile warranty on the actual truck itself and anything that breaks on it uh, has four motors. So it's got enough power that it literally can quadruple any truck's load currently. Um, and even on half of its capacity can still out, outperform any truck there is. So it's, it's pretty funny, like Tesla's in, you know, ingenuity, you guys were talking about, you know, immigrants that come to this country illegally when they do the right things, they get, they're getting rewarded for it because this is a capitalist economy and it's like, I guess a capitalist country where you can really take advantage of some things. And, and, you know, someone like Elon, let's just be real. The man's a genius. He's our current day, you know, real life, Tony Stark, the guy's doing things that you just wouldn't imagine is possible. And he's bringing us so far into the future and he's sick. He's giving us, you know, warnings on a lot of different things as well. And that's another podcast, yeah. but no, I, yeah, I, I like a lot of, I think Tesla's is a smart move for, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the fly in the ointment. I like a lot of what Elon's doing. I, I, especially when it comes to like free speech and some of his political stances of like, well, the law is this. So, you know, that's what we should do. And especially when it comes to technology, you know, the, uh, the law always lags behind technology. Unfortunately, it's just, we have, we have a, an intentionally slow moving government. So when it comes to governing that, you know, so I think he's kind of a visionary in that sense. Um, but there's some things he's he's a transhumanist man. If you don't know what that is, look into that. That is some scary stuff. Uh, I think um, because you're kind of getting into that realm of like playing God and things like that. And that's also where some of those things like you know you'll you'll own nothing and be happy about it. That's kind of like what a lot of those people believe. And I mean that that's terrifying. So I'm I don't know if he's like really that far that way. But I'm just saying like don't don't idol I don't idolize any one person that much right because people are flawed people can be corrupted people have ulterior motives um but yeah i think on, in terms of the rich and powerful people elon's probably the most like even keeled but also try he's trying to do a lot of good things for for humanity i would say most people are not doing that but you know anyway <laughs> we're, we're getting way off on a tangent here but yeah, um, agreed. So, so um, Tesla's a great example of that. Uh, the average American worker is 17 times more productive than they were in 1950. Hmm. So for every dollar that you and I could make uh, in 1950, we can now make 17. That's insane, right? So we needed 17 people to build, you know, whatever in the 1950s. We now need one. Right. Right. That's cra- And so that's, you know, our stock market reflects that. We're generating so much value and creating so many amazing things. And uh, we'll continue to, I, I believe. Um, and so it makes sense to invest as an optimist. But be paranoid. Expect a huge drop. Uh, we don't know. I mean, if this if this war in uh, um, Ukraine drags on, um, if China attacks, um, you know, they want some chips and they go to Taiwan. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if all that happens and, you know, Biden gets reelected, whatever. I mean, who knows? He's got to go to hell. So, you know, it's, <laughs> Wait, is that already? I'm going to need to trade in the water <laughs> exactly. for the whiskey now. Yeah. 
So it's good to be paranoid and say, listen, um, in 10 years, I think the stock market will probably be doing a lot better than it is today. In two years, it might not be. I have no idea. Yeah, you really, you can't predict short-term stuff. Um, nobody can. Um, so, uh, you know, let your money uh, sit, do its thing, and, um, you know, trust the system and, and allow that, uh, that money to go up. Um, yeah. So specifically about um, Morgan Housel's book, uh, The Psychology of Money, um, number one thing to talk about, uh, again, like we talked about before, um, money does not buy happiness. I, having things doesn't make you happier. Um, having control over your time does. The number one thing that'll make you miserable as a dad, one of the hardest things about it is you don't have control over your time. You know, you got a podcast you really want to do with your buds. You're super excited. Oh, I'm, we're going to do this podcast. And your kid is sick and your wife, you know, is unable to help. You know, for whatever reason, you have to cancel on your, your best friends. Feel terrible about it, right? You can't control your time. That never would have happened before you were a father. And now, out of nowhere, you know, these, these things happen. Um, that's a bad feeling. Um, so, you know, one way we can have control over that um, is to make sure that uh, it's not a financial burden that's causing it. You know, we have to say, look, I literally can't afford to pay rent this month. I got to take another shift at McDonald's. Um, can't do the podcast, you know, sorry guys. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a crappy position to be in. That's position. A lot of dads are in this country and I feel for them. It's hard, you know, um, having to go work, you know, a job you don't love, um, and be away from your kids is a really tough decision to make. Yep. Yeah. I, I, was, was, that I was doing that. Yeah. For the last six months I was in the car industry working 12 hours a day and weekends, which I'm not used to because when I was in medical sales before, some the nephew, yeah. I had all holidays off. I mean, there were weeks, literally weeks, where surgeons just didn't plan schedules, or scan uh, scheduled any um, operations yeah. and yeah, or surgeries. And I just would go out and try to get new business, and and that's it. Like yeah. I didn't have any cases, no nothing. So it was yeah. it was always interesting to uh, to see how you know things changed for me. But yeah, when I was in the car industry recently, and we had our newborn, things just shifted, and we moved into a new home. There's a lot, man. Uh, I wasn't home to to do anything, and my wife she felt the burden, man. And uh, you know, I'm the I'm the husband that likes to do the laundry that most of the other. I'm sorry if you can hear the kid in the background. That's my niece. Uh, she's losing oh, her house shit right now. It happens, but um, I just you know it it put its all on our marriage for a little bit, like not in a bad way, but you know there was agitation. Uh, you know, I'd get home and my wife didn't have. 10 minutes to herself all day because you know she's dealing with kids as a dentist and then she comes home and she's dealing with our son and i would just try to tag her out say hey take 20 you know because you could see the frustration on her face and that's so hard um so and i did that had a financial need and it sucked because had it not been for that i would not have ever worked that job i was freaking miserable they had a lot of empty promises on what going to, you know, what all, but yeah, it was, just wasn't a good situation, man. So I feel for any father out there that is in a position and just know that like, if you take one bit of advice from me, know that you never stuck. There's always opportunity. There's always ways to get out. Uh, and, you know, with listening to Dustin's financial advice and other people, you know, it's not just that it's, you know, you can do things to change your career. You can go after things. Like I quit my job one time called Turkey. I went to Florida, lived there for you know, eight months. I uh, went to medical sales college, uh, put myself through school again, uh, paid damn near $25,000 to live down there and to go to school. And, you know, I created an opportunity. And, and I know that's not something that everyone has the opportunity to do, but there are ways to do it. That's my point. You can learn things and, and create opportunities. And yeah. Just never limit yourself. That's my point. 
Yeah. Well, you got to kind of, you got to, you have to view it as an investment yourself too. Right. And I, not, I'm not a huge Dave Ramsey fan, but like one thing I really took away from him was you have to live like no one else. So you can live like no one else. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that it's easy to say, you know, right. In, in my position, I've, I've been very fortunate, uh, in my career and, and whatnot, but, um, you know, like I, I, I worked really hard and I, you know, when I left the military, that that was really scary, right? It it is. I had no corporate experience on paper. I don't really have any like you know. Oh, well, why are you going to be good at sales with technology? Well, I don't know. I blew shit up in the army, you know. Like it doesn't on paper <laughs> doesn't sound like it would translate very well, right? But, um, you know, like that that's kind of a. I took that bet on myself, right? I believed in myself, um, and you know worked hard, and yeah, I mean the first job I landed was horrendous, and I was there for three years, and I was miserable. But I just knew that it was worth it because I was in a good industry. And if I just kept grinding and kept working hard and keep looking for new opportunities, one would come along. And, you know, similarly, you were saying, Justin, got got out of that job in the new company where I work now. And it's been really good. But, um, you know, you got to kind of take that bet on yourself, too. Uh, so if you're if you're at a dead end job, uh, I mean, right now, employers are begging for work. They're begging for employees. So. I mean, now is probably a better time than any to take that bet on yourself. And I mean, I've had like, I've had people reach out to me, uh, you know, I volunteer my time to like mentor people getting out of the military to like talk to them about what their thought process is, what they want to do and just give just cold heart, hard advice based off my experience. Not that I'm like an expert, but you know, I tell them a lot of times like, what's the worst case that happens, man, you take the job and you leave in a year. Who cares? I mean, like you're going to learn something. I mean, just go find an adjacent job that makes this about the same amount of money. If, if that's your concern, like you're not, you're not start, unless you're starting up a business from scratch where you own all the risk. If it's just a paycheck, take the gamble. You may be the best in the, in the company at it, right? You don't know because you've never done it. You've just been in the military before. So take that bet on yourself. But that, you know, that's my, that's from my lens, from my view of how I got to where I'm at. But, um, you know, I think that's, that's another thing. Um, you know, if you're down on your luck right now, you're in a position that you are not in a good job. You are in a sh- excuse my language, but a shit career, and you're not feeling good about where you're at. Trade skills is another thing, man. Mm-hmm. You, George is absolutely right on the fact that people are looking for anybody yeah. who's willing to work right now. Well, there's a I can't tell you how lazy people are these days yep. that I used to work with. like in the car industry. I couldn't we couldn't find mechanics because they go and here in Louisiana they go straight to the oil field. And they know they can make six figures sitting on their ass doing absolutely nothing. Whereas, you know, you're going to work your butt off in a, you know, as a mechanic. So I think if you can get a trade skill set, sky's the limit, man, because people are needed right now for that. So yeah. I definitely think, just my uh, little tidbit. I don't have the, like, the numbers off the top of my head, but I know that there is uh, a huge gap that's like forecasted for like plumbers, electricians, all that kind of stuff. Like the generation Versus. that typically did that. Like, you know, we, our generation was the, oh, you got to go to college. You got to go to college. That's the only thing that matters is going to college. It's like, really? Is it really? Because now, like, if you look at it, I mean, there's kids with Gary v, that question. <laughs> crippling college debt, yeah. crippling yeah. college debt with like an art degree. But if you went to like a trade school, which you can probably knock out in a year or two, like, I don't know how long there. Some of them are pretty quick. You can come out making like 80 grand uh, a year, it, depending on where you live as like a, an apprentice, you know, and that's the bottom you're going to make. Like my guys I work with. Uh, in the guard, the National Guard, like they run their own electrician business or plumbing business, and I think they make more money than me. And like they're my subordinate in the military. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like they're doing really well for themselves. They have to work hard for it, but um, that's an option for a lot of people. Like school is not the only way. Like 
that that is the probably the worst lie that's been fed to our generation. Yeah. Um, yeah, no kidding. I think I mean your average college grad makes like forty fifty thousand dollars a year. You can insane. make five times that, you know, in a, a, a 10 week trade course, you know, in, in any number of different fields. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a college degree. I'm glad I have it. You know, it works great for me. Um, but, you know, I if my son says, Dad, I, I, I don't like school that much. I don't want to go to college. I'll be thrilled. <laughs> I'll yeah. be like, don't waste your money. That's perfect. Yeah. You know, don't waste my money. If he wants to go to college, I'll be just as happy. Give daddy some money. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I mean. No, but here's another thing, like, just for an example, I have a friend um, from uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast, and he was absolutely miserable doing what he was doing. He was working for some oil company as, like, a like lower-tier person. Long story short, he's like, you know what, screw this. He's got a kid on the way. He's like, I'm going to go get some training. And he went and got uh, not just welding uh, certified, but he got underwater welding, which is very oh, dangerous. Those guys make bank, though. He is an underwater welder, and he went from, like, living in a trailer park to owning, like, a $3 million home. The dude makes almost probably half a million. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the most ridiculous it. thing I've ever and Now, he has an extremely, extremely dangerous job. I mean, you have to know what you're doing, but he was yeah. extremely good at it. Yeah. And now he's crushing, and he's got three or four of the guys that work with him, and, yeah, they... They're, they're doing it. And I'm telling you, trade skills. Man. Yeah, I guess that's the, that's the, the hidden that's the hidden golden gem yeah. right there. That if people just would grab that, they and could easily. The parallel is trying to draw to from this is like obviously you know if, if you make minimum wage or something like that, you can't really invest a whole lot, right? And and so, you know, um, just the cold hard facts of it. Compound interest. You're the more money you have, the more money it makes you, and that's just how it works. Um, and it's not fair, right? The world is not fair. And, uh, you know, do I wish I made more money? Of course. I mean, I think we all do, right? It makes, makes a lot of things easier if you have a lot more in the bank type of thing. But, um, you know, like if you're, if you feel like you're at a, you know, at the bottom and you're stuck or something like that, like you, you should be advice I've got from numerous people over my career, whether it was in the military or in the corporate world was, you know, in reality, you should be evaluating things every six months, man. And if it's not working for you and your family, you need to make a change and that's your responsibility. And um. Yeah, I mean, I I've done that, right? Like I've 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 kept looking for for new opportunities, and you know, you can always say no, right? You can you can interview, and if it and if you change your mind at the last minute, you can always say no. There's nothing they can do to you. Um, but if you don't take that interview or you don't try, then you're gonna stay exactly where you're at. Nothing will change. And when it comes to investing, if you're not making enough where you have a surplus to put some away for the future, then you can't invest. So, I mean. Maybe I'm oversimplifying this this argument here, but you gotta you gotta make that change so you have a little bit more to even start putting away for the future. Um, and if you're watching this and like maybe you're young, uh, you know you, you have any, you're like 18 or 19, good on you because that is like the best time to figure this out before you go and blow a bunch of money on stupid stuff. Um, yeah. Because like we said, you know, little bits now works out better in the end. But um, I think that's an excellent point, though, man. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of have my own motto that I created is uh, invest in yourself before you're you're ready to invest in wealth. So, you know, you have you have like if you're at the lowest low and you, you've settled for mediocrity or maybe you're stuck because you have this this fear, this anxiety that, you know, you have kids to take care of and a wife and a mortgage and all this stuff. And if you change jobs this unknown can take you out or take your family out. You really just need to start grinding uh, for yourself and for your family on the weekends or any free time that you have 
to get to the place where you can step out on whatever opportunities out there. And look, we live in an age now digitally where you can learn anything through YouTube, literally anything. Um, So, you know, I would always encourage anybody, you know, go on the internet, utilize um, people, start networking uh, through social media to people that are experts in those fields and say, Hey, look, you know, if you got a few minutes of your time, I'd I'd love to ask you a few questions, you know, and, and just start investing in yourself. Like, have self-worth. If you don't have it, make it. And, uh, you know, just start keeping promises to yourself and keep investing in yourself. And before you know it, you will have a return on that um, to where you can actually start investing in wealth and the other things, you know, and I, I think that, yeah. yeah. So that's, and it's, learn it's, to fail because you're not going to succeed yeah. the first time. You're not going to succeed the second time. One of the best experiences I hated at the time, I sold books door to door my sophomore year of college. Um, Rough. It was uh, a horrific, terrible experience. I cried multiple times. Um, it was it was really really hard. It was probably the first time oh, in my life that I experienced true hardship. Um, I knocked on people's doors and I was like, "Hey, do you want to buy this crappy book?" And they were like, "No, that's terrible." And they'd slam the door in my face. And I was a sensitive little millennial, and I was like, "Why don't you love me?" <laughs> yeah, man. I dealt with that for three months of my life. I fought through it. I think I ended up losing money on it, right? With all the travel expenses put in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you learned so bad. But you learned some really valuable, tough lessons, right? And uh, I'm wearing a yeah, shirt absolutely. right now here for, from Mighty Oaks. Uh, shameless plug for that organization. Look them up. Uh, they do amazing things. Um, but the, the motto that they, they say a lot in their program is failure isn't fatal, right? And yeah. we are inherently designed as people to not not, well okay we're not we're not talking like combat scenarios here we're talking you know in your daily daily life you know just trying to lighten up you know it's but it's really not right like um yeah you know like i said if you take that job and it ends up not working out the world is going to continue on you can find another job like your life will continue but like to your example you learn you learn something through the experience um, and, and that's going to better you for the future, right? That's the investing in yourself type of thing, taking a chance on yourself. But, um, yeah, man, failure isn't fatal. We're, we're naturally inclined to not want to fail. We don't want to be rejected. We're human beings. You, you, we are created to want to be loved, to feel accepted, to feel, you know, all these, all these emotions that are positive. So taking the risk to fail is not natural. It is a forced thing that you have. And, you know, the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on this with my daughter now because she's smart. She's like old enough now to start seeing, uh, and she's really hard on herself when she fails, type of thing. And I'm I'm really trying to like talk her through that. Like, look, the the most powerful people on the planet, the best athletes on the planet, the best musicians on the planet, whatever whatever field they're in, they got to where they are not because they were like naturally the best. There's tons of people with immense amounts of talent and gifting that don't ever really go very far. Um because their work ethic sucked and like Michael Jordan and all these crazy people who've done like insane Kobe things, Bryant. they, they like, they failed a lot and, but they never gave up. And I'm not saying that like they're like perfect people and everything about them is what you should emulate trying to be. But the, the, the fail, fail, fail before you succeed, that's life. I mean, it could be the dumbest thing. Like it could be a video game. You're going to fail. You're going to lose to the boss a lot before you finally beat it, especially like difficult games like Dark Souls, where the game's designed to beat you. You know, I mean, like I hate so, that game. Right. Yeah. I don't play it because like I've got it's, enough. It's I've got enough frustration in the real world. I don't need to, you know, in my free time, make myself get more frustrated. But anyway, like, I'm just trying to draw the correlation here that like yeah. everything in life 
you're going to fail at least once. Like no one walks this earth without yeah. ever messing up at least one time. And it, yep. at least probably a million times, if we're honest, right? Like it's, uh, but there were millions of swimmers trying to make it to that egg, and you were the one that made it. So you are a winner. You're already a winner from the <laughs> get-go. That's right, yeah. Gary V said it. Four billion to one. That's your odds <laughs> of becoming a human. Yeah. And you won that lottery. That's funny. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, as far as fail is concerned, what I tell my son, I use it as an acronym. And fail for me is first attempt in learning. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell my son, that you will not learn anything. You will you will always be um, a novice or or somebody that has never explored something unless you're failing. And if you're out of your comfort zone, you're failing. You're learning, and you're you're going to succeed eventually. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're talented or naturally gifted towards it. So first attempt of learning is. I mean, that's the way you have to look at it, and you can't look at it any other way. So yeah. as it comes to investing, right? This start small. Right. And, and try a couple things with with like, you know, treat it like you were saying, Dustin, where it's, you know, kind of the gambling uh, analogy there where it's like, OK, I've got I'm willing to lose this amount of money. And if I lose it, I'm going to be OK. You know, I'm not dipping into like feeding my family type of thing. Try a couple things, see how they go, see what you're comfortable with. Maybe, um, you know, I need to do it. I need to step out a little bit more and, and put my money in a couple different places, too. So I'll, I'll, I'll eat my own advice here. Um, but I'm going to do it with a, in a, a smaller amount to to ensure that I'm not like, you know, putting my family at risk type of thing. But, um, yeah. So I just want to take a quick check here. We're at about an hour and a half. Dustin, did you want to like close with some final thoughts on, on the book and investing and, you know, final, final words of wisdom for us, uh, as you are the, the guru for this episode? Sure. Yeah. There's a couple of key ones. Um, uh, number one is, uh, the pain of loss is 10 times as bad as the joy of gain. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind. If you're looking at your portfolio every day, um, you might be up over the year, right? Um, you know, you might be up 2%, but you looked at your uh, portfolio every day and all that pain of seeing the red and seeing losing money will drive you insane and make you hate it and make you potentially sell, you know, at a bad time. Um, so one of the best things you can do is set it and forget it. Um, you know, choose an investing strategy. Um, that you're comfortable with, that you understand is a good decision, um, and let it ride. Don't look at it. Um, there's other more interesting things to look at. Um, you know, as far as your portfolio, your real money, stick that in the corner. And if you love finance and you just really want to look at stocks, look at your play money. You know, pretend your big 95% portfolio doesn't exist, um, and look at your your 5% every day. You know, and as that goes up and down, whatever. You know, it's it's not that much money, so it's not the end of the world. And even that might drive you crazy. You know, it's where you're like, oh yeah. my god, my you know, a little bit of money here is is up and down, whatever. But uh, you know, don't look at your whole nest egg every day um, because it will it'll really um, it's just basic psychology. You know, the pain of loss is always much much worse than the joy of gain. Um, so don't don't do it. Um, and a few key decisions make the difference. Um, so an investing genius is someone who does the average thing when everyone else is going crazy, right? So if you're able to stick to your plan, um, you will do absolutely fantastic. Um, most of us aren't able to, you know, um, most of us are not long-term thinkers. What is it? 70% of Americans are overweight, right? Um, so they're, you know, not sticking to their diet, clearly, right? And, is that really uh, the stat? Is it really, is it really 70%? It's 60 or 70. Yeah. Obese is like 30 or 40%. And then actually overweight. Um, Colorado was the last state in the country about 10 years ago for the majority of Americans not to be overweight. Um, And now, and now BMI is a little unfair, right? I think Justin and I and and Brandon are all like, 
you know, our BMIs are probably slightly elevated compared to where they should be because we're so muscular. We have so much muscle that it, uh, excuse it, you know. So there's a few examples of that where, but but most of it is is real. Yeah. You know, and most of the time BMI is pretty uh, pretty accurate. And um, sorry, I just uh, I, I was like, geez, that's that's a really high percentage. It's wild, and it's the same thing. It's long term thinking, right? Your health is just another form of uh, of wealth. Well, right? discipline so too, there's, right? It's... There's financial wealth. Um, you know, there's uh, there, there's all kinds of different wealth. Um, but uh, you know, your your health is an investment just like anything else. And most of us don't invest long term in our health, and most of us don't invest long term in our finances. It's not as much fun, right? Why would you sit on you know money that you could buy a Lamborghini with now? Um, you know, and, and stick it in the stock market and hope it does better later. Yeah. You know, most of us don't think that way. We go, you know what? I'd rather have the Lambo now. And uh, honestly, Lamborghinis have been really good investments the past twenty years. So that's kind of a bad example. <laughs> you might, you actually, might have been better off buying a Lambo and then selling it later. <laughs> but that, it's, uh, that, that, you know, it's just being silly. But that's so, funny. Yeah. So that's that's a real key. There is stick to your plan, right? And um, and be a long term thinker because uh, most people are not. You have to be. A little bit of a weirdo in this society to uh, you know to succeed on the level that you want to right if you want to be healthy um, if you want to be wealthy uh, you cannot follow the average so I guess kiddos calling I gotta go all right man hey Justin appreciate it man thanks man take care yes all right love you bro um you know that 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 what you just said right there uh kind of kind of doing the uncommon thing or the hard thing uh uh that's that's something I learned too. Is like you know, personal uh, denying yourself gratification is discipline, and and that's what makes people successful, is because it's and that's what that's what a man does. Like a child gets everything they want whenever they want it without thinking about the consequences. An adult, a man thinks through. Okay, I'm going to deny personal gratification on this thing today because. Five years from now, it's going to matter. And like, in, like you were saying, investing—it's not sexy, it's not exciting. That is like the ultimate example of of that mentality. Um, because yeah, I mean, it, it, if you've got a thousand dollars just sitting right here, and you're like, oh man, I can get that, you know, whatever I wanted for so long, or yeah. I could put that in, you know, my retirement fund, and or or you know, my kid's college fund. you know like like, yeah you know like in that moment it's like ah crap you know but but that's that's i honestly think that's what household's conviction is is that behavior trumps uh other considerations Mm -hmm. um you know in the pursuit of building wealth and financial success Mm -hmm. i mean you you know in the book there's um there's a couple examples of of some guys that were kind of polarized like one of them was uh, ronald reed and the other one was um richard richard fuscone i think but ronald reed was just a janitor um and a gas station attendant but by the time he died he had eight million dollars in net worth and he donated a majority of his fortune to a local hospital and a library as a philanthropist at that point and then you know richard was a harvard educated like big time merrill lynch um executive um you know, he, he borrowed heavily and spent impulsively and lavishly, like you were saying. And, you know, the 2008 bubble hit, that mm. crisis hit, and he had to declare bankruptcy. So, you know, Ronald was patient and, and Richard was greedy. And I think that's what House was so perfectly connecting the dots to is that, you know, it's all about your, your behavior and your behavior um, and your education um, 
towards that behavior can eclipse the massive education experience gap that was between those two guys. That's good. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I feel like, you know, for me personally, it's just, it's patience, discipline, persistence, um, optimism carried with the, the idea of, of being careful of adapting and making sure that if changes are occurring to the market, um, which they always will, especially over decades of time, uh, that you adapt to them and um, th that you try to stay ahead of that curve. But that, that behavior uh, is one of the most important things in the books that he talks that, that, that really pushes. It's better than any analytical tool you can have. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, is having that emotional regulation when, when stuff starts tanking to say, okay, I'm going to diamond fist it and hold it out, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's just, that's what I got from the book was that, that doing well with money has little to do with how smart you are and a lot of to do with how, how you behave. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And uh, make sure that it's enough. That was another big one is, um, you know, some people, if they have a million, they want 2 million. Um, and then other people, it really is enough. If they have a hundred thousand dollars a year, that's all they need. They're very happy. So, yeah. Uh, make sure that um, what you have is enough for you. You know, find uh, contentment and happiness with with the amount of money you have, and don't uh, don't chase money that you don't need um, with money that you do need. Mm. Right? You know, so find a way to uh, to be happy with what you have. That's that's a real key difference. Yeah. Um, you know, that you see between people who are happy with their their money and people who aren't. Right. That's good. Absolutely. Alrighty. Any any last thoughts on the investment? Uh, from you, Dustin, or was that kind of the, um, is that your closing? no? I don't think so. Okay. Um, I've got a, a Twitter account. I can I can chill. I guess if anyone has questions, yeah, you're welcome to it. DM me. I'm happy to uh, to help out. Um, if you just look me up, it's uh, studmuffin.eth because I'm a big crypto nerd. Um, <laughs> so right. uh, feel free to uh, at me, DM me, whatever you want to do. If um, you had anything you found interesting you're a financial advisor you want to fight me bring it you know <laughs> so i'll be sure i'll be what sure to put i've your... got family that's in financial advising i have nothing against it yeah. um i i just personally um not my thing but uh it, it is a it's a um a heated topic for sure i'm yep. glad we were able to have that conversation and had some disagreements there because uh you know that, that's an interesting one yeah um, so yeah feel free to look me up and talk to me and i'm happy to happy to talk it out i'll be yeah. sure to put your twitter handle in the uh description of this video perfect yeah thank you okay my my exiting thoughts too. Um, don't just read his book. Um, there's other books that can really help you in your financial journey. Because just like anything else, you need a good balance. Um, so a great example for me when I was learning about um, like being, becoming debt free with the Dave Ramsey program was that I learned that you know there's pretty much two primary types of people: uh, somebody who leverages debt to create wealth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, your entrepreneurs, uh, your, your people that are, are just are buying homes like Airbnbs, rental properties um, that, that cash flow things, but they're, they're continuously cash flowing into more debt uh, until they decide to either sell or they just have enough cash flow where they're actually making considerable profit and they can live off of that cash flow, um, like you were saying. But uh, the other person will be the person that eliminates debt. Uh, they're completely debt free. And then that frees up the burden and the pressure on them uh, to go out and to invest heavily um, for a long term uh, big picture processes like, you know, your 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 generational wealth that you create over, you know, 30, 40 decades, or excuse me, 30, 40 years or, or decades of time. So I think there's kind of two sides. But, you know, 
there's risk um, on either one. It's just how much risk are, risk are you willing to take? Because you know when you're leveraging debt, there's there's a lot more risk. Yep. Whereas if you're you're debt free and you're you're playing the slow game like the turtle on the the hare race, you know you're 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 looking at the big long time picture. Um, and there's a lot less risk and it's a more conservative approach. So try to figure out where you're at with those and balance yourself in them. And, you know, just like any other thing that you're trying to improve yourself on, really, really um, just just tap into the knowledge of other people that have wrote books and that are, are, are the best at that field. I, I can't stress that enough because that's that's where people really, you know, learn and grow and can actually apply things yeah. uh, to benefit their life. That's good. I like it. All right. Well, uh, with that, let's talk about next episode and what the homework will be. And uh, then I think we can close with our uh, highs and lows of the last two weeks. We'll start with the lows and then finish on the highs. We'll finish with positive notes. But So the next episode, we'll be talking about the book called Tender Warrior. And that's probably backwards for my camera, I guess. But that's what the, co- that's what the cover looks like. You can find it on Amazon. I don't know why it's mirrored somehow, but it is. Um, it's written by Stu Weber. I will put a link to it in the description. Um, and specifically, we want to hone in on the chapter. I believe it's chapter three. If you bear with me for a minute here, um, yes, chapter three, and it's called "The Four Pillars of Manhood." Um, I kind of reference this in our opening episode, but that chapter really defines, um, you know, what what is a man, and uh, those those pillars are what. If you look at it from from that context, being that type of man that has all of those in your life and, and puts conscious effort into each of them, um, generally will make you a well-rounded father, husband. Uh, if you're single, same thing. It doesn't matter. Like it, this is what men are, um, and so I th- I think that that would be a huge valuable chapter for us to hone in on. The, the rest of the book is amazing too. So I'll kind of prepare some thoughts on, you know, other talking points from the book, but. That's the chapter I really wanted to hone in on. Um, I think it would be a great early episode for this podcast, talking about fatherhood, and uh, you know, in for for many men nowadays, right? That that question of what is a man doesn't have a definitive answer like it used to, um, and so hopefully we can provide a little bit of that context uh, because another principle that you know I kind of uh, buy into is that only men can draw out a man from a boy. Um, and that's not a knock on women. It's just how we are wired, right? Men, only other men know your heart the way that you do. Um, and just like, you know, we always say that women are mysteries. It's the same thing. Like we'll never really understand them. We could try, uh, don't waste your time basically. But anyway, so there's a lot of topics there that I really want to get into. I think it's gonna be super uh, good discussion. And, uh, if, if you read nothing else from that book, that will be super valuable for you. That singular chapter, um, especially if you're someone who maybe struggled or you didn't have a dad in, your, in the picture growing up, things like that, it'll help maybe solidify some of those things that uh, you were never taught or maybe not taught very well. So um, yeah, that'll be the homework. So just to recap, it is Tender Warrior by Stu Weber, Chapter 3, The Four Pillars of Manhood. Um, so I'll put that in the description. And with that, uh, Brandon, would you like to start us off with uh, you know frustrating thing from the last two couple weeks and then uh, a positive thing? Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Frustrating thing. Pretty much just two things. Just the heat down here, uh, in the Southeast. It's just, it's like walking into a sauna you just soaked after five minutes of being in it. So having to work outside, you know, keeping 
you know, the, the landscaping and the, the upkeep of my house. Outdoors is miserable. Um, the high would be uh, starting my new job as a research analyst for a financial firm, a uh, fiduciary firm, <laughs> uh, next week. I'm super excited about it. And um, just I, I just feel like it's it's something that God just, just placed in my path. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's his will. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm very excited about it. Uh, and, yeah, that's I feel like my life is just really kind of career-wise is kind of skyrocketing at this point. So, Congrats, so. man. That's exciting. Thanks. Yeah. And you're completely changing careers, right? This is whole new. It's a different field for sure, yeah. but uh, I feel like a lot of the the logic driven, like the information system stuff, the auditing, and the the you know my always knack of ever ending wanting to research and learn and master things um, will just tie into it perfectly. And I think I think awesome. God knew exactly what He was doing. So yeah, I just wanted to just, you you did what we talked about of you know taking the bet on yourself and and, and yeah. making that jump. So. Congrats, man. I'm glad that's, that's uh, exciting. Awesome. Thanks, man. Dustin, you want to go next? Sure. Yeah. Um, frustrations are uh, probably more personal. I've been a little disappointed in my attitude this past couple of weeks. Um, nothing really bad has happened, but uh, I don't think I've appreciated a lot of good things in my life the past couple of weeks, and I've kind of allowed little stuff to get me down. Um, yeah. And I'm, uh, I know I'm better than that. And uh, the only person that hurts is yourself, you know, if you're mm-hmm. cranky or... Uh, you're entitled, you know, or you say, I got stuck at work an hour late. The world is so unfair. You know, that's, uh, that's really not a good way to go through life. And, um, it, it's very seductive to say, Oh, you know, I deserve better and the world uh, hasn't been fair to me. So, you know, um, this is, this is crap. And, uh, that's not how I want to live my life. That's not how I typically do. Um, and, uh, I'm confident I can, uh, I can do better in the future. Um, the high for this week, uh, I got to see, a SpaceX rocket launch from three miles away. I could feel the heat. I was shaking um, awesome. from the uh, the rumble of it. I mean, it was uh, it was insane. It, it was just really cool. I kept going through military checkpoint after military checkpoint and being like, "Where am I going?" And then all of a sudden, I mean, just like this, just insane rocket shoots uh, sixty, you know, uh, Starlink um, uh, satellites uh, into orbit, into orbit within I think five minutes, and then it lands, and an autonomous uh, aquatic drone knows exactly where it's going to land and you can watch on video as the rocket then lands on the uh the submersible device um and then they reuse the rocket i think that was its 15th launch jeez Uh, everyone said that reusable rocketry was impossible and they were wrong you know they're doing it so it's pretty exciting stuff so i get to see that right that that, that's literally a miracle yeah that's a that's That's a a bucket list thing right there man yeah it's like especially for somebody like me that drinks out of like space mugs and stuff right yeah that's really cool super exciting but you know i got stuck work uh, an hour late that day and i almost missed it and i was furious i was like my life's you know stressful it's so unfair and i thought about it later and i was like man i'm letting little stuff get me down i'm better than that Mm. i'm gonna um I, I got to shape up. I got to get my attitude right. So that's that's my goal for the next couple of weeks is uh, is bounce with it. Well, good on you, brother. Good deal. Yeah, good deal. Appreciate the uh, the honesty too. Um, yeah. And I'm jealous that you got to see the rocket. That would. You should be. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's that's basically the only like type of you know explosive I haven't really been like in close proximity to is is a rocket launch. So that's probably the the last thing I need to check off on the the pyromania uh, list of things. But Come on down. Yep. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to make that happen. Uh, let's yeah. see. Frustrating thing for me. Um, so I have to preface it for me. It's it's work related. Like work is going really really good. I've kind of transitioned. Um, just things are really, really taken off in all the right ways for me. Um, 
but some of the people I work with, it's like never enough for them, right? I'm in sales and it's just like the classic, you know, sales manager type, you know, meme. I don't know if you've ever seen them before. It's like, yeah, but you'll sell a deal or whatever. It's a really good deal. And they're like, yeah, well, why wasn't it more? And it's like, okay, well then you go do it, man. You know, but like, so I've been kind of like getting that from some people, you know, that kind of like uh, mentality. And I'm just like, man, I'm trying not to let it get me down, but like, I am at a point now where I feel like, like I'm doing it right. Like I'm, I'm not relying on other people to get to like accomplish these things I'm having. And um, so it's kind of just like the whole fly the ointment thing. And I'm like, trying not, like you were saying, try not to let it frustrate me. But like I had to vent with my wife in the car the other day and I was just like, this is just going on and on and on. She was just like, uh, that's, I'm sorry, honey, you know, but I got it out of my system, but that was, that was pretty frustrating. Cause it's just like, I, you know, I, I guess maybe I was just raised differently and especially like as, you know, a commander in the mil- in the National Guard and things, you know, like when, when people do good things, I, I, I try to not be like, yeah, but, you know, I want to I want to affirm the good that they've done. And so for me, like, that's kind of like how I was brought up to have that, like, kind of kicked in a little bit. It's like, eh, just give me my five seconds, you know, like just we can talk about what we can improve, you know, like maybe a little bit later. Not at anyway. So that was the frustration. Uh, the positives. Um you know, work going really good, but uh, family time. We had uh, a trip. We went and saw friends for the Fourth of July weekend. Uh, it was super good. Uh, it was actually the first time we've been able to get our families together because we were like gonna do it in 2020, and then COVID literally like kicked off. Like we were gonna go to this thing in April, I think, or end of March, and like everything shut down like two weeks prior. And so we've we've just due to life have been unable to kind of get the families together. So finally, we did, and that was awesome. And then on an impromptu on our way back, we stopped in Chattanooga and we were going to just eat and then drive home uh, and decided to just stay. And I used some hotel points, stayed at the hotel and we took Greenland to the uh, uh, Chattanooga Aquarium, which is super awesome. So it just ended up being like a really, really good family weekend. And I'm about to take off for training. So I'm you know, just really um, thankful that, you know, one, we had the time, but two, that I had the means to kind of make that possible. and. Uh, you know, that, that those are, we made some memories this weekend that, you know, I'll probably remember forever. So, uh, yeah, it was a really good, really good weekend. So that's exciting, man. And, I'm and, proud of you too and, for your job. And God bless America. Happy, right. happy belated 4th of July, everyone. We're uh, right, happy 4th. just two days past the 4th now. Um, but uh, in my opinion, July should just be Independence Month, uh, not just the yeah. day, but that's just me. So, all righty. Um, Dustin, thanks for putting this together. Thanks for uh, recommending the book, putting the notes together, challenging us, and uh, leading us through this discussion. Uh, I hope that for the viewers, this was beneficial. Uh, I definitely learned some things tonight, and uh, now I'm going to be texting you nonstop about uh, what where, where to put my money. Um, <laughs> so not financial advice. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll set aside play amounts of money that aren't going to have, uh, you know, any kind of detriment. Hopefully, I can some things with it but uh yeah so there you go appreciate you gentlemen um we're almost at two hours for this episode so uh thanks awesome. for the, thanks for your time and investment and uh we will see you in actually it'll be about three weeks before our next episode due to my training commitments so uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks talking about tender warrior by Stu weber and uh until then gentlemen have a great couple weeks and uh we'll see you soon all right, hey, fellas. All right take care gentlemen thanks, brothers.